you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So uh, suddenly it's all bad. The demand, the excitement, the reopening, the stimulus, all bad. The growth is troubling, if not catastrophic. We're told we have to sell now because things are so good, it means someone has to get hurt. Uh, that's the party line on a day where the Dow ultimately gained 20 points after being down huge. S&P tumbled 0.67%. NASDAQ knows that 1.88%. No recovery in tech land. But before everyone decides collectively to go jump off a building, <laughs> let me try to explain this confusing moment. Maybe you won't. Right now, the market's having what I regard as an old sports writer from the days when I covered football at Florida State. It's having a quarterback controversy where you don't know who's number one, who's number two. This is the last thing you want in football. It's currently happening with the Green Bay Packers, potential Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers, so unhappy that he joined David Faber in guest hosting Jeopardy! Today, we got a quarterback controversy in the federal government. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen came off out of left field, or I guess, like, I don't know, the end zone, uh, and implied that the Federal Reserve may have to raise interest rates to keep the economy from overheating. Remember, she was the last Fed chief. Uh, this comes only one week after Jay Powell, our current Fed chief, said that it's too early to raise, right, uh, raise rates because, well, we're still a long way from full employment. Doesn't it feel like we got two quarterbacks? For Yellen, I think it's reminiscent of her worst call at the Fed when she decided to tighten in December 2015 after years of low rates. She said she wanted to contain inflation. Within six weeks, the inflation balloon had collapsed, and she did some real damage to the economy. Fortunately, Powell is the one calling the shots now, not Yellen. Which brings us to the second conundrum, inflation. Pretty much every commodity is running right now, and that's bad news for most companies. But there are some winners, too. Think Freeport, the copper company, or steelmakers like Cleveland Cliffs and Nucor. They're doing the same thing they always do, but their selling prices keep going up. That gives them what's called operating leverage, where any uptick in revenue produces a gigantic increase in earnings. Then there's another kind of company, something like a, a DuPont, okay? Especially chemical maker with exposure to semiconductors, autos, and housing. DuPont reported a monster quarter today, but the stock barely budged. Why? Because even though the company's putting up great numbers, its raw costs are surging too. 
While they can pass those costs on to their customers because demand's so great, it's obviously not as good as straightforward inflation winners like the copper plays and steel. Finally, you've got the pure inflation losers. Most businesses fall into this category, sadly, but some are worse than others, like Kroger or Albertsons. Their margins are so thin to begin with that any increase in raw costs can be devastating. Something Goldman Sachs pointed out today in a pair of prescient downgrades. Now, if you're thinking a one out of three ain't bad, remember that there are very few stocks in Group 1, the pure inflation winners. Tons of stocks in Group 3, pure inflation losers. Next up, there's the great tech conundrum. Let's keep it simple. Look at the beaten down semiconductor stocks. Now, this may be the most puzzling group in the market. We know that demand for chips is off the charts. We know that there's a shortage. So you'd think that their stocks would be flying, right? Because the underlying companies are practically printing money. That was the narrative until 10 days ago. Now the semiconductor stocks are in the doghouse. Why? Because a shortage creates the seeds of its own destruction in two ways. First, no chipmaker benefits from the shortage. Listen to me. Take something like the F-150, all right, that Ford truck. Last month, Ford made so many of these, uh, so few of these versus the previous month. They made so few that it was, ca- frankly, unsettling. I mean, going back and forth with Phil LeBeau about this, I mean, it, it is a fraction of how many they normally produce, and there's demand for all of them. Now, see, there are lots of chips that go into these things, but only some of those chips are holding up the process, the supply chain. If you sell the other chips, well, then you had a real bad month because of the ones that couldn't be produced. We might make 18 million cars this year. Thank you, Phil. And that would be the most in 16 years. Still, this quarter will be hurt if you make the chips for those machines where production is stalled by other semi-companies. Second, and much worse right now, everyone in the industry is running around screaming that we need more production capacity. So what if that comes true? What happens if we build all the semiconductor foundries that Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger endlessly squawks about? I'll tell you what happens. We'll be flooded with chips. Pricing will collapse. Cycle will be over. If you're worried about the new capacity, it makes sense to sell the semis now. Okay, I want to throw in all the instability in the Strait of Taiwan which is where we get a huge chunk of our chips. Remember Taiwan semis there? Uh, the, the People's Republic of China wants Taiwan back. And lately, they've been making some incredibly hostile gestures. These endless flyovers by their Air Force. I don't think they have the ability to actually conquer Taiwan. Maybe I'm too much of a, uh, a sentimentalist, uh, but with the U.S. Air, uh, carrier group in the area. But they could hold some naval exercise that disrupts shipping, making the semiconductor shortage worse. It's not going away. President Xi is not going away. Each of these scenarios is bad news for the chipmakers. What we need is a smooth transition out of the current shortage into a period of consistently strong demand. But it's more likely the industry overcorrects by adding too much capacity. You just need to watch the semiconductor capital equipment makers, LAM Research and Applied Materials. Their stocks will actually tell you how this ends up. They're the ones that put it on your screen. They're now in the same position as the copper and steel companies. They can charge whatever they want, even as their costs pretty much stay the same. But we don't know what's going to happen. Those are the ones to buy, though. We know the semis are an extreme case of demand overwhelming supply. But this is happening to a lesser extent all over the economy. We're seeing it in appliances, lumber, tools, aluminum, corn, refined product, freight, cars, paper, chemicals, plastics, you name it. That's practically the whole shooting match, isn't it? Which brings us back to the quarterback controversy. Janet Yellen's thinking about the need for rate hikes because they slammed the brakes on the economy, slowing down the purchasing power of everyone and everything, which then allows the supply chain to play catch-up. But if that happens, you'll end up with a situation that's abhorrent to the bulls. 2022 will be worse than 2021. That's right. It'll be a dreaded down year. Now, Jay Powell, on the other hand, believes we can handle all this inflation because over time will gradually take care of itself. Plus, he thinks the cure, raising interest rates so the economy might be worse than disease. Powell wants us to get back to a tight labor market in order to help the downtrodden who haven't been able to benefit from the current boom. True. Man, oh, man, am I ever with Powell. Speaking of the boom. 
as J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon explained at a conference today, booms are good and that there's not necessarily too much of a good thing. We've yet to experience classic demand destruction where prices get too high to sell for anybody to sell things. Oh, it could happen. I don't see it happening now. Right now, though, even though I can totally see and feel inflation from all sides, I'm sticking with Jay Powell as my quarterback. Sooner or later, the plastic plants will come back online. The semi-companies will add more capacity. The president will make trade deals to bring in more raw materials, and things will solve themselves. In the meantime, though, here's the bottom line. I need you to recognize that we're in a forgiving market. Investors like to buy high-quality stocks that go down. Soon we'll remember that most semiconductors aren't commodities. There will be winners and losers. It's our job to try to pick the winners, just like buyers pick the industrials at the bottom of today's market. How about we go to Bob in Massachusetts? Bob! Hi, Jim. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Cisco. It seems to me to be a quality company with a good dividend and the right price. I couldn't agree more. I think that Cisco's got good management. And Chuck Robbins, it's got a good balance sheet. It's got a good dividend. It's got good prospects because we're now in the enterprise portion of 5G, and I think it'll do well. I need to go to Garrett, New York. Garrett! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. So I had a question about this, Scott. I currently own 500 shares at $18. And I've been holding for almost a month. It's been down almost 30% in the last three months. Walgreens and CVS are doing fairly well. With the COVID-19 vaccine available at all locations, my stock is limited. Should I buy Right, Rite Aid is just okay. I mean, you know, I like best of breed. Right Aid is not best of breed. Uh, I think Walgreens got a new CEO. I think she's terrific. Uh, CVS got a new CEO. I think she's terrific. They're both better than uh, Rite Aid. I like best of breed. May I go to Chuck in Texas, please? Chuck. Hey, how are you? I am good, Chuck. How about you? Oh, great. Hey, uh, I was just wondering about something, if what you, your thoughts were. All right, fire away. I'm 60 years old, and I'm 70% cash and 30% equities. Really? I've been that way for a few years. Do you think that's too conservative? Yes, it absolutely is. It's a bet against yourself, sir. You don't want to do that. I mean, what happens if you, you have a long, good life like my father in 92? What are you going to live off of? You need to be able to make more money on your money. I think you should take that up to 50% and should do it into the next big decline, and you do it slowly. Don't do it all at once, or otherwise you'll regret it, and you'll regret me, and I don't want that. But that's my plan for you. All right, look, inflation is here, uh, but I am on the team of Fed Chair Powell, and I want the ball. He thinks it's too early to raise rates. I agree with him. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, I'm sitting down with the CEO of Goodyear Tire after earnings to find out where the rubber meets the road. Then it's a delivery showdown, and tonight's off the charts. UPS versus FedEx. But which company can deliver the right gains? And as more companies prepare to head back into the office, I'm sitting down with the CEO of Zebra Technology to find out how its products can help businesses navigate the new normal. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's a conundrum. Right now, demand for cars and trucks is off the charts. But thanks to the semiconductor shortage, the big automakers have had to dramatically cut production. Look at that. Here, Phil LeBeau talking about the F-150. So how do you play this constrained bull market? What if you could buy the stock of a something auto-related that thrives when people drive, whether they're in new cars or used ones or at a warehouse auction? I'm talking about the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, which just reported a fabulous quarter last week. The company posted a monster 31-cent earnings beat off a 12-cent basis, higher than expected sales, a 15% year-over-year, 1.5. While management's still not willing to provide formal guidance, but look, they're doing a merger. They did give you a lot of useful commentary, talking about how they'd be able to raise prices in order to offset rise material costs. However, because the stock had run so much, it's currently at more than 65% for the year. It actually slowed off a bit in response to the quarter. I like that. In fact, Goodyear's more than quadrupled from the bottom in March of last year. It's still cheap, selling for only 10 times next year's earnings estimates. Plus, they've got a nice catalyst in the form of this Cooper tire acquisition that I so much wanted to happen closes later this year. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Rich Kramer. No relation. The chairman and CEO of Goodyear Tire and Rubber get a better read in the quarter where his company said, Mr. Kramer, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be. Anytime I can be with the brother Kramer, it's a great day. So great to be here. What can I say? I got a lot of KRs and CRs in the family, which I'm so glad you're on the show. I have a million places to go. The strong demand. How you're the way to play autos because we don't have to worry about new or used. But I've got in front of me a tire. I swear, Rich, this tire looks like it doesn't it can't get a flat. Is that possible? It is. I, Jim, you've got a, a non-pneumatic tire in front of you, and it's a, it, it's a great way to deal with some of the new shared mobility initiatives that are coming forward. You know, you're probably not going to want to want to drive that every day in your vehicle going back and forth to work or on a long trip. But if you think about a robo taxi going from uptown to downtown that's only got to go 30 miles an hour, 
and it's managing a shared mobility fleet whose focus is on cost per mile and uptime, that non-pneumatic tire is a great answer. So lots of lots of future use to that. Very well, cool. You guys are about the intelligent tire. You have really distinguished yourself from your competitors. And I know this because my wife is on the waiting list for the new Hummer. Uh, GM reports tomorrow. And who doesn't want the new Tesla? And you've got them both. Now, they can go to anybody, right? I mean, you would think they went to some fancy Europe, German friend. No, they went to you. Now, how did you win both of those accounts over? Well, those are both great. We have a lot of great customers. Certainly, those are, are great customers and innovation partners of ours as well. But, Jim, both of those are the Hummers and EV. The Teslas obviously are EVs. And when you think about an EV, it's really a different technical solution that goes on those vehicles. It has to be a tire that can take the, the, the weight, the load of a heavier vehicle because of the batteries. It has to has a dura, deal with the durability from the torque coming from that motor right on the axle. It has to have improved rolling resistance to deal with the range anxiety that, that people have. And it also has to be quiet. It's got to deal with noise because there's no engine noise anymore. And of course, you can't sacrifice any ride and handling or performance. That is a big technical solution to be solved, and that's right in the wheelhouse of the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. We're yeah. proud to be on those fitments. I by no means uh, mean to uh, uh, be critical of your regime or uh, a, a recent, but in the 80s uh, and 90s, Goodyear was a financial play. It was never a tire play. And when I was at Goldman, people would say, oh, it's going to get a bid. It's going to get a bid, like Firestone. You have reinvented this company. I regard this as a technology company on wheels, so to speak. And that's the, you always you had to distinguish yourself because the other guys were always coming in and flooding our market with their darn cheap tires. That's been solved, right? <laughs> well, you know, Jim, I think you're referring to the, the, the tariffs out there. And I think, you know, we are absolutely for a level playing field. And I think if you go back to the the previous uh, uh, tariffs in place in 2010 and 2014, you basically saw uh, uh, the impacts of that. And, and we also saw that they weren't long lasting in so far as the tires went to other Southeast Asian locations. But now that's where those, those tariffs are pointed to South Korea, to Taiwan, Thailand and Vietnam. So there's a chance these are long lasting and to your point. That certainly can help the market in terms of setting up that level playing field. I'm glad you called it a level playing field. I am, you know, I'm probably more on TV, more of the people on TV. I am so adamant because I saw my father's business be destroyed by dumping. And people don't understand. It's not fair. I mean, these companies are state-sponsored companies, and they want our market. And you had to fight them with technology, which is not cheap. At the same time, you have worked down your debt dramatically. And I think that's something new for Goodyear, too. $650 million this quarter? Yeah, you know, uh, Jim, we always are focusing on the balance sheet. Our goal is to get back to investment grade. And, and you know, that is a priority, and we're going to continue to put our efforts to do that as we look at that balance sheet. It's really important to us. Jim, I, I'd also say, if I can, pick up your point on technology, because I do think that's the competitive discriminator. And as we think about both, you know, how we're going to market with some of our new retail concepts that really are talking about how we make the tire buying process easier to really the work done in our intelligent and integrated tire is a way for us to really play in this new mobility ecosystem that we know is going to be with us, let's say, for the next 100 years. All right. Now, uh, you several times the, on a fabulous call, and you're Darren Welsh, Steve-O, we're really struggling to keep up with demand. And then you talking about how there is just an incredible level uh, uh, from everything, heavy demand from use. And I start worrying about a rubber shortage. Uh, I got the semi so, thing already going, but how about rubber? We got enough? 
Yeah, you, you know, Jim, the short answer is we do. I, I've been doing this a long time. You know, when I started with the company, Natural Rubber was 20 cents. Uh, you may recall sort of mid, <clears throat> mid part of the last decade, we were at $2.65 a pound. Then we went back to 40. Now we're in 60, 70. And essentially what you see happening is, is two things. It's either speculation or it's a lot of uh, even China putting, warehouse, putting rubber in warehouses. Ah. All during that period, I can tell you, I've never really had a problem of getting, we never have had a problem of getting supply of that natural rubber. So it's, you know, it's something that's always out there, a lot of speculation going on. I can never say never about something that could happen to Southeast Asian rubber trees, right. but that's really not been a problem for us, and the team's been managing it brilliantly. I am so glad. And you heard what, uh, by the way, you guys heard what Rich said about uh, China warehousing uh, rubber. That's what they're doing to semiconductors. Don't you think for a minute that this, that this shortage is all man-made. Rich, you are doing a remarkable job. I cannot wait to the closing of Cooper. That is going to be so huge, and the rationalization, you will own America, and you deserve it. Rich Kramer, Chairman, President, CEO of Goodyear Tire Rubber. I'm so glad you came on the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Really appreciate it. Take Absolutely. Care. Ten times earnings. Doesn't matter if it's used. Doesn't matter if it's new. Can come from the warehouse. This may be the way to play autos that, when we all struggle to find a way. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, special delivery. Kramer goes off the charts to see which parcel carrier can overnight you the biggest return. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. On an ugly day for the NASDAQ, well, why don't we do something else? Let's focus on some New York stock exchange companies, a pair of stocks that held up just fine. Let's, talk, let's focus on United Parcel and FedEx. These two shipping companies both reported phenomenal quarters, especially UPS. And their stocks have roared higher in the past couple of weeks. Have you seen them? They're probably the standouts in the entire market. They also belong to a rare club, COVID winners that have continued to make new highs, even as the world goes back to normal. But at a time when lots of investors were worried about how the economy could peak at any moment, could these two have more room to run? As much as I like both stories, I also like to take my emotions out of the equation with a more quantitative approach. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Dan Fitzpatrick. He's a terrific technician, founder of Stock Market Mentor, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I blog. We're going to get a better read on these two giants of transportation, UPS and FedEx. Full disclosure, I prefer UPS. They just delivered a stunning quarter under the leadership of new CEO Carol Tomei, formerly the CFO of Home Depot, brought her on several times, and I still think she's being entirely underestimated. Fitzpatrick disagrees with me. As he sees it, UPS has run too much. It's a has-been. He likes FedEx. Okay. His reasoning? Well, UPS is the better company, my take. Fitz believes FedEx is the better stock, at least at the moment. So let's take a look at these stocks. This is a, for, this is a daily chart of UPS. The company reported blog quarter last week. All right. I mean, it was... 
one of the most energized quarters I've ever seen. You can see this. Uh, since then, the stock has surged 22 percent. It's now nearly 25 percent above its 50-day moving average. OK, so you see this gap. Uh, this is a very strong stock. It's so strong that Fitzpatrick worries that it's gotten too extended. See, it's just too far up. After 22% move in a single week, he's betting weak hands will ring the register. Meanwhile, smart traders will hold, hold off on buying until they see a pullback that tests the recent breakout. Uh, you see this one, two, three that he's got going, the zigzag pattern. According to Fitzpatrick, you see this kind of action all over the place, and you have to know how to play it. The zigzag is a nice, straightforward pattern. It's three-phase process. Phase one, after building a base, meaning trading sideways for a long time, the stock finally breaks out. Okay, so there's phase one. Boom. Okay, that's exactly what UPS did. Now, the stock had been basing in pattern since October. There's a lot of people got very frustrated. A lot of people sold the stock down here, okay? The basing was a launch pad. Last week, we finally got lift off, and the stock broke out upside with a monster move higher. But now Fitzpatrick thinks we're headed to phase two. Yeah, the pullback. After stock explodes higher, it tends to peak, at least temporarily. That's what he thinks. As we get a wave of profit taken coupled with reduced demand. He doesn't expect UPS to repeal the entire breakout, bring it all the way back there. That'd be disaster, frankly. Uh, that would take it below 180. But he, he, this is a $214 stock now. He wouldn't be shocked if you got another bite at the apple at a lower level. Now, finally, there's phase three. This is the continuation phase. That's where the stock starts climbing again, hopefully to a new high. All right. As Fitzpatrick sees it, UPS is currently nearing the end of just phase one. It's already up 22% in a very short period of time. So you got to wonder how much further it can go before it gets hit with a garden variety pullback. The stock is already zagged, okay? It's, I'm sorry, it's already zigged. Now he wants it to zag, okay? And that's when you pull the trigger. If you don't already own UPS, this is now a stock that's gotten away from you. Fitzpatrick thinks it's a mistake to chase these levels. I don't like chasing either. He recommends waiting for it to come down on some profit taking there, okay? And then, boom, you can get involved. My view, I'm actually pretty torn about this. You see, I, I don't like to chase. If UPS does pull back and you can get it at a lower level, that would be a fabulous buying opportunity. But you might want to put a, on a small position up here because there's a real possibility the eventual pullback could come from a substantially higher level. And that's how much momentum this thing has. So I'm, I'm disagreeing with Fitz. I think it's going to go like this, here and then there, okay? But he expects it to go down a lot and that you'll get your chance. I don't think you're going to get your chance. So there, it's tech versus funding. Now let's apply the same analysis to FedEx. Check out the daily chart. Now FedEx has a nice, nice run over the past couple of weeks. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty since. Actually, it's, a lot of it's just because of UPS. When you look back over the last five months, it's only just begun to break out of the upside, right? It's done nothing for a while. If we use that same exact zigzag formula, FedEx has barely moved. It hasn't even started phase one yet. Fitzpatrick points out that from December through April, the stock built a very solid base, similar to what we saw in UPS. So you can see this. There's that base that looks like UPS. Specifically, FedEx peaked in December, then pulled back pretty hard. All right. It's it's kind of interesting how much it came down. Uh, The stock plunged 23 percent from 300 down to 235. Technicians like Fitzpatrick, they determine, uh, they often determine their price targets through something called symmetry. And this is something Carol Broden has taught us, too. She's the fib queen. They measure the size of the last decline, then add that to the breakout level to reach a target. Surprisingly, this works pretty often. So in the case of FedEx, the stock recently broke out over $300, and a measured move gets you to 365 
Given a breakout from this kind of base, Fitzpatrick says a 20% move like this would make sense over the next several months. Now, yesterday's breakout occurred on volume of almost 5 million shares. So it's much higher than average. That's very positive. See, remember, when it comes to interpreting the charts, volume is like a polygraph. It tells you whether or not a move is lying. A breakout on high volume means the rally is telling the truth. Plus, it's a strong indicator of institutional buying. The big money is loading up here on FedEx right now, and they do have the power to push stocks much, much higher. So how about the zigzag analysis? Okay, given that FedEx has only just broken out over the $300 level, that means phase one is just getting started. We don't know how long that phase will last, but we know UPS rallied 22% during phase one. Meanwhile, UPS is is 25% above its 50-day moving average, FedEx is only 9% from its 50-day moving average, so it's not really as extended. Fitzpatrick thinks it's definitely got more room to run. He recommends buying some FedEx here, then waiting for the stock to uh, peak and pull back before you add your position. In other words, buy some as it begins to zig. Then when it starts zagging lower, you can buy more. $365 price target, this one's got a lot more room to run. Bottom line, the charts interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggest that UPS might need to cool off. Uh Uh-uh, FedEx plays catch-up which is why he prefers FedEx at this moment. If you're nimble enough to flit in and out of these stocks, I think he makes a good point. But for those of you who focused on the long term, UPS is the superior company. So I buy a little up here, and then hopefully Fitz's pullback lets you buy more. I want to take calls. I want to go to Mary in Florida. Mary. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hope you're feeling better. We need you now. Oh, I'm back I, big time. What's I up? Spoke, I spoke to you 10 years ago about CSX. You said hold, which I did. Should I sell, hold, or why buy? Would you ever more se- why would you ever sell? Listen and listen good, Murray. That last CSX quarter was a thing of beauty. Now, Union Pacific held a meeting today, and I loved, you know, Lance Fritz. I think he's great. The whole railroad business is fantastic. It already had its sell-off. I think you're doing terrific at CSX. I love Union Pacific, too. What a terrific analyst meeting. As I said, FedEx is giving you an entry point here. But for long-term investors, I personally prefer the United Parcel Services. It's had a strong run, so I recommend buying just a little at these levels and then putting on more on a pullback. Much more made money at. Looking for an under-the-radar way to play the reopening trade? I'll tell you if Zebra Technologies could do the trick when I sit down with the CEO. What a stock. Then, why you shouldn't bet against comebacks in the second chance market? And look at the industrials today at the low. Wow. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Whenever you get a hideous sell-off during earnings season, it can create unbelievably great buying opportunities. Take Zebra Technologies, long a Kramer favorite, the enterprise asset intelligence company that helps its clients keep track of their employees, equipment, and even data. Think of them as an arms dealer for anyone who needs to worry about logistics, which is a topic we keep coming back to because it's the key to e-commerce. This morning, Zebra reported a glorious quarter. Sizable top and bottom line beat 25% organic growth. Truly stunning outlook. The forecast for the next quarter came in much higher than expected. Management raised their four-year revenue guidance dramatically. They're talking about 18 to 22 percent growth for 2021, up from 10 to 14 percent number they previously predicted. But thanks to the meltdown and all things tech today, Zebra stock couldn't rally. It actually tumbled nearly 2 percent. You know what? I'm going to say that's ridiculous. Although I can't complain when you get such an incredible set of numbers for free. Remember, Zebra's been a huge multi-year winner for us, so, which is why I see any meaningful week this year as a buying opportunity. So let's take a closer look with Anders Gustafsson. He's the CEO of Zebra Technologies to learn more about the quarter and his outlook for the future. Anders, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be back. All right. Now, this was a, 
I mean, it's hard to describe a number as picture perfect, but you gave us 25% organic growth. You gave us a fantastic outlook, and you told a story, and I like the words that are used in your uh, deck. Pandemic behavioral shifts drive urgency for Zebra's solutions. So why don't you talk about the what the that it kind of supercharged your quarter? Yeah, we had a fantastic quarter. You know, a great great outlook. You know, my my 13, 14 years at Zebra, I don't think we've ever had quite the the quarter or the outlook that we that we announced today. And um, yeah, we we see uh, that the. The pandemic has really changed buying behaviors in many ways. The trends around automation and digitization is, uh, is picking up steam. And, uh, you know, originally back in, say, Q2 of last year, the, the industry leaders were the ones, the largest companies that were deemed essential. They pivoted quickly to, to you know, uh, retool themselves to be able to support how their customers wanted to interact with them then. And I think now we're seeing smaller businesses come back from, you know, from a tough 2020 to try to rebuild the same capabilities as their bigger brethren have. Uh, I was quite surprised by how strong uh, track and trace for a wide range of cases, including healthcare patients. That seems like it's become an imperative during this period. Yeah, healthcare continues to be our fastest growing vertical over, you know, over quite a long time now. You know, patients in, in healthcare, they're expecting a more, you know, digital experience and the whole, you know, patient journey needs to be digitized. And our value proposition in healthcare is just very strong in that we, we both help healthcare providers to drive greater efficiency in how they provide care, but also we improve the quality of care. Yeah, there was a I recently, unfortunately, had some tough back surgery, and I wish that I had been at a top-ranked university hospital that recently selected Zebra's mobile scan and print solutions to integrate with the new electronic health record. Because instead of being asked every 30 minutes who I am and what I do, it's right there, right? That's right. I mean, instead of having them come in and always ask you who, who you are and, and why you're there, they can just scan the, your wristband, your, you know, the machine-readable barcode on it, and, and all the other things that, that has to happen to you while you're there. I have to believe so that, that every insurance company, once they see this, is going to demand it, because this could be the end of the traditional malpractice problem. Yeah, and, and you know, so hospitals that implement our solutions actually have lower insurance premiums because you know, malpractice suits go down. They, you know, they have less medical errors. So that's, a, that's part of the value proposition we offer. So I was struggling to see what maybe causes people. You know, look, when, when we're in a tech sell-off, the fact is, is you're not really tech. You're a useful, functional company that does many things that happen to be technological. But I know that, that, that J.P. Morgan was saying, and they're good analysts, by saying that, you know what, uh, we expect a, a, a limiting valuation multiple upside. To me, multiples expand when earnings and sales expand. And in your outlook, you clearly gave a much brighter future than what analysts had expected. Am I correct? Did I read it wrong? Uh, no, absolutely. And so I, I you know, I, I kind of jokingly usually say that I don't, you know, out of principle, I don't project what's going to happen to share prices. But, I, you know, because I always get it wrong. But I, 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 I certainly wouldn't have expected today's outcome. Uh, you know, we, we uh, substantially raised the outlook. So it's hard to say that any of this could have been in the expectations. Well, I mean, I also think that, I mean, you talk about broad-based demand, but you're saying that also there's some larger deal, deals to come in the pipeline. So you actually have some visibility on large deals between now and your end. Yeah, you know, good good part of the reason we could re- raise the outlook for the full year is that our visibility has gone up, and we see good you know we see a good traction with larger customers, you know our strategic customers 
who are having bigger projects, but we also see the kind of small and medium-sized businesses come back. They, you know, that that segment was particularly hard hit in 2020, but we've seen them now in the in the last quarter and starting in Q4, uh, they've really come back and started to retool themselves and get back to business. Is that in every continent? Because uh, every, every region was strong. Even Latin America was strong. I mean, obviously, the demand for zebra is extraordinary globally. Yeah, this was a. Uh, very broad-based uh, demand for us. We saw each of our main product categories, each of our four regions, each of our of our vertical markets, all were up double digits. That is uh, that is you know that is not um, you know that is just outstanding results for us. We're very yeah. very very pleased with that. I mean, look, I was thrilled that it's the smaller companies, but people have to realize that the the top e-commerce companies almost all use Zebra, correct? Yes, that's correct. I think you know we, we're. Uh, almost all companies uh, that are you know, not in the financial services industry are customers of us to some degree. But you know, ma- many of the largest companies in, uh, in each of the can I re- retail, e-commerce, healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, logistics are large customers of Zebra. Well, look, I, I am adamant every time, every time this stock has come down, I have pounded the table because you're in probably the sector of the growth speech, uh, sweet spot for e-commerce and for healthcare, for retailers, for brick and mortar, for the post office, for everybody. And of course, for the largest e-commerce uh, players that we all love, Anders Gustafsson, once again, congratulations on a major, major win quarter. Fantastic job. Good to see you. Thank you so much. All right, guys, you're getting it. This is what I was talking about at the top of the show. You'll get a company like Zebra. They'll be fantastic. And you'll say, why did I was, why was I able to get it at a discount? And the answer is because of the craziness in the market. Take advantage of it. Don't run from it. Man, money's back into the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time! It's time for the light round! Clear your throats And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that! The light round! Clear your throats over. Bobby in Georgia. Bobby! Hey, what's your opinion on BTI? A British market. I don't recommend tobacco stocks. I'm sorry. Uh, you got to find another guy to do that. Let's go to Matt in California, please. Matt! Booyah, Jimbo. Booyah. Nano Dimensions is an interesting play. But everyone loves 3D because Kathy Wood loves 3D. If Kathy Wood loves 3D, then I love 3D. 3D's the greatest. I love 3D. 3D's the greatest. There, I did it. Let's go to Joe in Virginia. Joe! Kramer, how are you, my friend? Joe, I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Hey, shed some wisdom on XCI. Well, you know, that's death and taxes, right? You can't invest in taxes. You can't invest in death. It's SCI. I think it's a good stock. Always have Steve in New Jersey. Steve Arino. Uh, hi, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Doing okay. Uh, my stock reported great earnings last week and updated 2021 guidance. What's your opinion of Generac Holdings? Man, that was an unbelievable quarter. They shot the lights out. And I am a big believer in Generac and, ever, and have been for ages, and I've got to get one, but I'm afraid it might be too noisy. My neighbors will not like me. And I, I regard myself as being a, you know, peaceful neighbor. Let's go to Holly in Florida. Holly. Yes, Jim Kramer, I love you, and so do my grandchildren. 
I thank you for helping me encourage the grandchildren to save their money and to start investing it at a young age. That's what it's about. That's what the show's about. I'm not trying to help those Wall Street, uh, whatever they are, uh, conquer Wall Street. I'm trying to help you. What's up? All right. My stock tonight is UFT Industries, which is riding the lumber boom. Oh, my God. This company, it's... It's uh, no, it's good. It's right up there with the home desk spot. It's right up there with Lowe's. I'm putting it up there with Trek and with Asic. I mean, it's just a good company. And you got horse sense and so do your kids. And I congratulate you for doing the right thing with stocks. And I'm going to Brandon in my home state, New Jersey. Brandon. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, chill man in the house. What's going on? Hey, Jim. So with the recent chip shortage, what do you think of a growth play in IIVI? It's not a bad idea. That's a good idea. You know, you're right. And it's got all life sciences, too. And I like life sciences. I'm just doing a piece about life sciences, by the way. I think you got a good idea. Man, our viewers are so smart. How come they don't just call about GameStop and AMC? Why are they insisting on trying to make money for people? Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I'm looking for some of that great Kramer insight on applied materials. All right. This, is the, one I, this is the one highly. I'm keyed on. Mark, this is the one I've keyed on. This is the stock to watch because they reported an unbelievable quarter, one of the best quarters in the world. We had them on the on the show. Dickerson's a genius. The stuff is great, and yet the stock has done nothing but go down. And that's because people feel that they're making so many devices that they are going to flood the world with chips. I don't think so. I think the stock is going to make a stand at about $118. And at that price, bye, bye, bye. There, I stuck my neck out. Rick in New Jersey, Rick. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Booyah, as a big fan. Thank you. Um, and as a fellow as a fellow restaurant owner from Harrington Park, New Jersey, I've got a spagalicious restaurant opening place for you that's been flying under the radar. 500 restaurants. Tillman Cicada, yeah, Golden Nuggets. What do you think about fast acquisition, FSP? I have to do more work. I also have to go to the um, by the inauguration of Longshoreman tonight, and then uh, Bar San Miguel reopens tomorrow. Let me do some more work. This is going to be right up my alley because I certainly do no restaurants. My wife was cleaning the floors today. I bothered her. I said, "Hey, what's going on?" She goes, "Don't even ask." But she was cleaning the floors. Good. Look, the floors look really good. You can eat off the floors, but I would not recommend that. Let's go to Philip in North Carolina. Philip. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. And thanks for all the help that you give us uh, retail investors, too. Thank you, man. Thank um, you. So what's your take on SMP, Standard Motor Products? I've always liked them. I like automotive. I don't understand why the stock has been stalled because automotive is so strong. Maybe people are worried that they, too, are going to be hurt by the semi-shortage. Everyone's gotten way too negative about this darn stinking semi-shortage. They get that Japanese plant up and running, believe me, and they are. That thing is going to hum. I need to go to... Persaud in Michigan. Persaud. Hey, Jim. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. Pleasure's mine. What's going on? Thank you for all you do uh, for us. And, and Jim, your ability to sense changing market trends and provide us with early insights about those is just plain uncanny and awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So my question is, Jim, with a blowout Q1 uh, results from Google and Facebook uh, based on strong advertising revenues, with China fast recovery on the from the pa- uh, pandemic, and recently announced JV with Geely Motors, okay, and the earnings coming up in two weeks. What are your thoughts on uh, starting a position in Baidu? Now I like Alibaba. 
I can endorse going to Baidu because the stock is down so much. I don't know how much more they can throw at the darn thing. I like your call, and I thank you for your kind words, everybody's kind words in this in this uh, lightning round. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, are profits hiding in your favorite stocks, false bottom? The doors are swinging open at the Second Chance Saloon. Next. If stocks could talk right now, they'd be screaming, wait, don't sell me. I promise I'll make it up to you. Why? Because even though we had a brutal sell-off today in the NASDAQ, we're still one of the greatest second-chance markets I've ever seen, as you saw with the industrials between mid-morning and the end of the day. Let's look at a textbook example why I am demanding that you shouldn't sell into the teeth of a sell-off. Let's talk about the drug stocks. A week ago, they walked into the abyss. I'm talking about Merck. I'm talking about Bristol Myers. And I'm talking about Eli Lilly. All reported some serious disappointments. The kind of thing you might expect from software companies, never from Big Pharma. This is supposed to be one of the most consistent groups out there. So these bad numbers, they were shocking. The only major drug company who was able to put up decent numbers was Advi. And the thing that saved AbbVie was Botox. Forget medicine. What we really want is smooth, wrinkle-free skin as the world comes out of lockdown. But a funny thing happened after the pharma earnings fiasco. We started realizing that many other drugs weren't prescribed nearly as much as you might have expected because of the pandemic. And patients certainly wouldn't go to a hospital for anything, not just electives. That resulted in some awful year-over-year comparisons. The behavior seems inexplicable. I mean, do people really put a higher priority on Botox than life-saving cancer treatments? Maybe they do. As the explanation is holding and the defenders are out in full force, it doesn't hurt that these companies have good dividends and lots of cash. I want you to look at Eli Lilly, which was a particularly egregious performer that's been just hammered over the last few months. Now, when I had the CEO on the show in February, this was a $200 stock with a seemingly promising Alzheimer's drug. Then the company revealed some discouraging data that sent the stock plummeting to $180. Somehow the stock clawed its way back to the high 180s, but then it got totally poleaxed again. Miserable quarter last week, right back to 180, like shoots and ladders. Then yesterday, Lilly announced a $5 billion uh, buyback on top of a billion-dollar repurchase authorization they already had, and I think that's created a real base for the stock. More importantly, I genuinely believe that their Alzheimer's drug can work if it's taken long-term, which would make it a winner, not a loser, although I admit that management hasn't done a good job with the presentation, and I am being such an ambassador of goodwill saying that. I would know how to do it better. As the, as the chief spokesperson from the American Migraine Foundation, I can tell you you can give me the ball. I can tell it. But let's go back to the concept of second chances. I think that Eli Lilly, which we own for the Chapel Trust, at 188, down an astounding 30 points from its size, Eli Lilly represents real value versus the rest of the market. Of course, that, that has more to do with the nature of the stock market than the nature of Eli Lilly, which sadly doesn't seem to realize how badly it's bungled things. I like Eli Manning more than Eli Lilly, but that's because he lives down the block from me. Anyway, Lilly makes fortunes. Uh, and when its stock got crushed in a bad tape, you got to buy it. Apparently, lots of money managers agree because it ended up rallying today. We've seen this happen countless times, people, yet it's very hard for, for anyone to remember that you're supposed to buy, not sell, when stocks are collapsing. Consider the ones disappointing waste management. Remember those guys two quarters ago at reported a so-so set of numbers and Wall Street gave up on it. Sent it down to the one-teens. Then it's rocketed. Now it's 
140. How about United Parcel? Despised in the 160s, as I showed you and off the charts. Now it's loved at 214. L Brands, parent of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works, pretty much left for dead when it sold off 36. Now they can't get enough of it at 65. PepsiCo, disgusting in the 120s, devoured in the 140s. You know what I bet's going to come back? I know it's going to shock you. Are you sitting down? Clorox. It could be the next one to come back. It got hit with a double downgrade from buy to sell yesterday, and the stock was up today. Who the heck takes a stock from buy straight to sell when it's already within spitting distance of the 52-week low? I mean, I say thanks for nothing. This kind of thing keeps happening because the analysts are powerful. When they downgrade a stock or cut the price targets, they can knock the price down. And they, believe me, they, they glorify it, especially when they're all moving in the same direction. But just like you have to know how to read a darn room when you walk into it, you also have to know how to read a tape. And this tape screams, I'm not done yet. You know, that's why we actually bought some AMD for the Chapel Trust. With that turnaround at the end of the day, I think it is saying enough is enough already. Don't forget. Companies aren't oblivious, and the people running them have their own firepower with bountiful buybacks in many of these cases. That means comebacks can be a given in this tape. I mean, think about it. If AMC and GameStop, which is backed by the 10 million self-described degenerates from WSB, can come back, do you really want to bet against somebody like Eli Lilly? Remember that the next time you sell something. You might be creating your own bottom all by yourself. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.